is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Jimmy Scroggins here, Church for the Rest of Us. On our last episode, we had a great conversation with Tom Rayner and Matt McCraw, and we were talking about the neighborhood church. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to go back and check it out if they haven't already. I agree, Pastor Jimmy. It was a great conversation, and they had some really great ideas for how pastors of any church could be intentional about reaching their neighborhood. So I hope they'll go and listen to that. And today, we have another neighborhood pastor with us to give us some more wisdom. Who do we have? All right, so Joby Martin is the pastor at 1122 Church in Jacksonville. And I have to tell you, Leslie, I don't actually know him personally, so this is the first time we've ever talked. I'm kind of a little bit starstruck because, you know, Jacksonville's my hometown, and his church is making such a a gigantic difference in that region. And a lot of church members from our church, at Family Church in South Florida, when they move to the Jacksonville area, they all go to 1122. And a lot of people that I grew up with in Jacksonville have migrated to 1122. That's awesome. And so I just am so excited. And I've heard Joby preach. He is an incredible communicator, loves the Bible, and he's just kind of like our kind of people. You mm-hmm. know, he does mm-hmm. it, man, with enthusiasm and he makes it accessible. So, Pastor Joby, I'd love for you just to introduce yourself and tell us about yourself and kind of your ministry journey and your family a little bit and tell us a little bit about 1122 and then we'll talk about Neighborhood Church. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm Joby Martin. I've been married to Gretchen for 22 years. I got two kids, a 16-year-old boy who's a junior free safety, so pray for me. What high school? 12, Providence. He plays at Providence High School, yeah. 12-year-old girl named Reagan Capri who is pretty awesome and still loves me and thinks I'm awesome, so we hope that keeps going for a while. Yeah, man, I came to faith at a little Baptist retreat center called Camp Pine Hill Baptist Retreat Center in Bennettsville, South Carolina when I was a junior in high school and we didn't really go to church at all. I was radically saved on about the 13th verse of just as I am around the campfire on the last <laughs> night of camp. And if you know, you know, if, yeah, that's it, man. That's Jesus into my heart. And then felt called to ministry in college. Uh, I went to seminary, was a youth pastor for like 15 years. That's all I ever wanted to do. I was moved here to Jacksonville in 03 to do that. Everything was going awesome. I was minding my own business. And then, my senior pastor, a guy named Jerry Sweat, best Christian I've ever met in my life, he asked me to run a service for, like at the church we were at, we had a bunch of students and we had their parents and there was a big gap in between. And so we started a service that started at 1122 AM. I'm not very creative at all. And so I just thought if we called it that, people would know when to show up. And so we called it that. And then after about, I don't know, Less than a year, that service had turned into, I think, six services, and we'd outgrown the church we were at. And so he said, I think we should plant you, plant 1122 with you as a senior pastor. And so I had no idea that I would ever do this. And kind of my discipleship strategy was adults quit going to camp. And so pretty much every weekend, it's like the last night of camp at all of our services. But you're right. I'm a Bible guy. We just teach through books of the Bible primarily. But I'm also a country boy that grew up around a lot of really great storytellers. So I'd love to use illustrations to just put things on the bottom shelf so the folks new to church can understand, but not to the neglect of the longtime Christian. We dive as deep 
at least as deep as my little mind can go. <laughs> well, I appreciate that so much. And Joby, tell us a little bit about 1122. So you guys started back in the early 2000s. And where are, describe the church a little bit for us today so everybody knows about it. Like I said, we started at a service at another church in 08. And then by 2010, it had grown to a few thousand people. So we planted the church that I pastor now in 2012. And it's the dumbest name ever, but I didn't know we were going to be a church. And so at that point, it was kind of branded in our city. And so we just put the church up in front of our 1122 service. And the church that we came out of allowed us to live there for like a year and a half and raise money and find a facility and move in. And and so we opened the doors here in 2012. So like in two or three weeks, we'll turn 10 years old. It filled up real fast. We renovated an old Walmart. Hmm. And in fact, when I called my daddy, I said, daddy, we're going to put the church in a Walmart. He said, boy, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. And so I offered him a job as a greeter. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. Got full. And then, so we started going multi-site and we've just, for the last 10 years, we've just kind of been chasing pockets of our people around the city. And now we've crossed over into Georgia and looking even into crossing over into some other cities. That's pretty exciting. So how many 1122 locations are there right now? You don't uh, know. We have, we, I have to count them. We have nine right now, but two of them are in a prison. Mm-hmm. But at the end of next year, we'll be at 12 and three will be in prisons. Are you mostly starting these from scratch or are you doing some form of kind of the merger adoption idea and some of them or maybe all the above? I don't know. They're all scratch. There have been a couple of opportunities where churches were dying or moving and called us and said, you want our building. But Mm -hmm. and pretty much what it is, is we've got these crazy people that will drive like 30, 45 minutes to come to one of our locations. But they have a hard time bringing their friends and neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just quite honestly, if you cut me, I believe evangelism and, you know, Eugene Peterson's version of the gospel of John, he says, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that's our multi-site strategy. We just want to partner with our people and move into the neighborhood. Cause again, man, we've got these diehards that will drive 45 minutes for church, but they can't reach their neighbors. You know, they want to bring their neighbors to church and their neighbors have a life or whatever and don't want to drive (laughs) 45 minutes. So we just try to chase groups of our people around. And so far it's working pretty good. So on the campus level, and you know, for our listeners, some of you guys might be listening and thinking, you know, I'm not a multi-site church. This doesn't apply to me or whatever, but it actually does because talk about how an individual neighborhood church or neighborhood campus actually functions contextually in that neighborhood. I mean, we're just one church in many locations, you know, like one house with a bunch of rooms. We do video teaching, so I'm simulcast all over the place. And one of the things that is a real positive for us in that is that the campus pastors and the campus staff, all of their time is care and discipleship because they're not. So the division of labor is not a problem for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time working on sermons, you know, 20, 25 hours a week. Well, that's 20 or 25 hours a week multiplied by nine campuses of pastors and staff that are making our really big church feel really, really small and family because they have access. And if you go to one of the campuses, it's a lot easier to get access to your campus pastor for whatever you need. And so that helps us a lot. But we're all part. We've got one vision, one mission. We sing the same songs, listen to the same message. Everything's the same. In those campuses, it may play itself out a little differently depending on 
where those campuses are. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Arlington. We have a campus in Arlington. Where is it? Where the HH Greg used to be, okay. right across from. It's like on the other side of the mall. By the Regency Mall? It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's incredible, man. It's going yeah. awesome. Pastor John Berenger is our campus pastor there. And it's probably our most diverse campus, mm-hmm. which is awesome. It's just reaching that part of the city. Mm-hmm. Then we've got another campus down in, like right in the middle of a neighborhood. And it sits on 12 or 13 acres and it's got a soccer field and that kind of stuff. And so at that neighborhood campus, we host like flag football leagues and things like that which looks a little different than some of the neighborhood stuff that we do at our arlington campus yeah i bet it looks a whole lot different go ahead yeah it does and so that's another thing is that the shared resources that we have by being one church in many locations is that we just all stack hands together and then each campus can reach their neighborhood in whatever way works best for that campus I was going to ask you that, Toby. So you said you basically chase your people to the neighborhoods that they live in. That's how you've started new churches. But once you get there, obviously, there's a lot more people to reach in that neighborhood. So do you have a strategy or does each campus develop their own strategy of how they're going to reach their neighbors? Yeah, our primary strategy is that every single person in our church that's a believer identifies what we call their one more. And they are praying that God would give them an opportunity to share their faith with their one more. And it could be like share the gospel and do the whole kit and caboodle and lead the person to Christ right there. And if that happens, the person needs to be involved in the church. Or it could be share an invitation, or it could be just share prayers with them, or it could just be share one more cup of coffee and keep building that relationship. And then we let our people know what our one more weekends are. Now, we I preach the gospel all the time. But if there's going to be a clear gospel invitation, we just let our church know next weekend is a one more weekend. Man, what a great idea. Here's what happened to me. All right. So I got saved late in high school. I go to college. The guy that led me to Christ invites me to be the pastor at the camp that I got saved at, which is crazy. And then I go back to college and I'm ready to reach my fraternity for Christ. All right. And so I start these Bible studies in my fraternity house. Where did you go to school, Jovi? I went to VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. Yep. And so I'm a member of a church and it made sense to me. But at that point I was a church guy. So I like knew when to stand up and sit down and why people were wearing robes and all that. Uh, so these guys would come to Christ with me in my fraternity house. And then I would try to get them plugged into a church, my church. But it was like, if you didn't know the secret code, man, <laughs> then they were like, what do we, or they didn't have dress codes. And in the early nineties, if you didn't have dockers, you couldn't go to this church. <laughs> But then the other thing would happen, there were these really awesome campus ministries that I was involved in, too. And I thought, man, these are cool. And I'm telling you, the moment I brought my friend, my unchurched friend to the campus ministry, the like crazy girl in the flowy dress with the banners and tambourines would do her thing. And I would think, am I in a cult? What is it? What are we even doing? (laughs) And so those two things frustrated me like crazy for years and years and years. And so when I had the opportunity to plant my own church, I thought, here's a novel idea. What if our folks felt like their church was not just for them, but we were partnering with them to reach their one more? And I can tell you who loves that, man. The parents with the prodigal kid, oh yeah, they love that. Oh yeah. Or the the people that move into the neighborhood and they know when's the best time to bring their friend to this church. They love that. The people that want to reach people love that. Well that's so clear. And what I love about that, Leslie, is that that's one of those like little things that anybody of any church of any size, any level of resources could do 
that or something sure. like it. Anybody could do that. Yeah, that's excellent. Right. It comes from Acts eleven twenty four, which is tattooed on my arm. It's the verse they read over the guy that led me to Christ, Coach Bully. And it says this, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And in the kingdom, a great number is not the tens of thousands that are attending our church. A great number is just one more. Because we serve the kind of shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one more. Mm, I so, love it. In fact, at our church, this is one of my favorite things. This is how you know when culture is really catching on. Most of the new believers at our church will introduce themselves as somebody else's one more. They're like, hey, I'm Ted, and I'm Bob's one more. That's like, cool. It's almost like a badge of honor that they know somebody would love them enough that they would pray for them and invite them to church and those kind of things. We have zero marketing dollars. I don't know. We sing and talk like everybody else does, but God has breathed on this thing and most of our campuses are full and we're trying to launch more. Well, I have to tell you, Joby, there's a sense in which what you do is what everybody else does, but there's a sense in which it's not. And some of that has to do with God's particular favor on you and your teaching gift and leadership gift for sure. But I think a lot of it has to do with what is very clear, even in 10 minutes of conversation, just your extreme intentionality and laser focus on evangelism. Talk about how you drive that, because I know it it just oozes out of your pores. How do you help your entire church and the people at the neighborhood church level? Like, How do you help push that out there? I was at a conference, and I'm not going to say who said this because he's way smarter than me, and I look up to him as a pastor and all that, but it was back in 2005, and he said, if you're starting a church, you got to make a fundamental decision. Are you going to keep people or reach people? Mm. And I thought, I think it's a false dichotomy, and it wasn't until a couple of years later, I'm watching Shrek with my son for like the hundredth time, <laughs> and Puss in Boots makes a joke. I laugh. Shrek makes a joke. My like four-year-old kid laughs, and I thought, is Shrek an adult movie or a kid movie? Mm -hmm. So if Pixar can pull it off, surely the Spirit of God can pull it off. I don't think you keep people or reach people. I think if you look through the Gospels, the thing that grew the disciples most is not when they were inward focused, but when they were focused on Jesus using them to serve other people and reach other people. So our vision statement at 1122 is we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. And then I go on to say, in the greatest way that you can deepen your walk with Christ is help somebody else discover theirs because everything changes, man. I mean, you know this. You read your Bible differently when you got to teach it to somebody else, right? You have a different lens on when you show up to church, when you brought guests with you. All of a sudden, the long line for kids check in that you just got used to because that's what your church does. But when you bring your guest friends, you know, like, we got to tighten this thing up. We need more volunteers. And so when you begin to see it through the lens of like your weekend services, through the lens of the Great Commission, not only does it reach people that are not yet disciples, but it disciples the disciples. So that's what we do. The proof is in the pudding, and you can see God's hand on you and what's happening all over 1122. And one of the best things, Leslie, that I, because we took some teenagers up to Jacksonville to work with a Baptist church up there on a mission trip. And one of my favorite things about it is I drive around to these different neighborhoods. There's an 1122. <laughs> There's an 1122. It's awesome because you just see them invading these neighborhoods with these gospel outposts that are being very powerful and, and very effective. Yeah. So we're thinking a lot about this idea of neighborhood church, Joey. And you mentioned a couple of your campuses and maybe how one of them has contextualized based on the facility that they have. Do you have other examples of how your churches have contextualized to their particular neighborhood? 
Well, all of them are very, very unique, depending on what part of the city they're in. And I don't know that I'm a very good strategist at all. I'm just more of an opportunist. So when a when a location opens, if we can do it and we think we can reach people, then we just kind of pray, guess, and go. That's what we do. That's good. And and then we just want to be the best stewards of whatever we have, wherever we go. So one of our campuses was a church that shut down, has a big old gym and stuff. So we run some boys and girls club stuff out of there, but it's the only one that has a gym. So that's not like a standardized method for us. We just try to do whatever we can with whatever he's put in our hands. That's really what we do. Again, I'm the worst at like contextualizing things and exegeting the culture. I don't know any of that stuff, man. We just lift up Jesus. He draws people unto himself and do whatever we can with what he's given us. Well, I appreciate that spirit, but I also think that you're custom made for Jacksonville and what you're doing. I mean, it's obvious. And one of the things I know growing up in Jacksonville, Jacksonville is a lot different now than it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. But I also know that a lot of people in Jacksonville are looking for something because you have all these people who've grown up. You've kind of got the redneck South influence in Jacksonville, which is, you know, my roots. I'm not saying it's yours. I'm just saying it's mine. (laughs) And then, but now you have this incredibly diverse group of folks that have moved in from all over the world that are brand new to the country and brand new to the area. And it's just such an incredible, incredible opportunity. And God's using you in such an incredible way. I wonder if you can think a little bit also about like the reason that you plant these churches in these neighborhoods, you said is for evangelism, to get people to bring their one more, basically because you're in closer proximity to where the one mores are. And then you've talked about some ways that your churches have contextualized their ministries. But my favorite thing that you said was you've talked a little bit about how Jesus taught his disciples to contextualize the ministry to the people they were reaching. I wonder if you talk just a little bit more about how you see that in the New Testament. Well, if you look at it, if you just did a survey of when Jesus gave the disciples high fives versus when Jesus got on the disciples, man, when they would come together and they would send their mom and say, hey, we got an idea. How about make me and my brother senior VP of Jesus Incorporated? He's like, you have no idea what you're talking about, man. But then there's other times when they would come to him and say, boss, we need some help. There's 5,000 people that came to hear you teach and they're getting hungry. What should we do? And then Jesus feeds the 5,000, but he didn't hand out any food. He handed it to the disciples. Mm -hmm. And as the disciples are handing out, I mean, the miracle must have happened in their hands, right? They're just holding the fish and the bread. And at some point they realize, wow, this isn't running out. And so the more that we can be focused on being used by God, I think the more God would give us a high five in regards to our part of the Great Commission. And so that's what we try to connect our people to. So while I have a great appreciation for a lot of churches that have come before us that fought the worship wars and I can preach in jeans and I don't have to apologize for my (laughs) tattoos and we can sing music that wasn't written in the 1800s, I appreciate all that, okay? But we are not what you would call like a seeker-sensitive, attractional model at all. Two years ago, we did the Book of Romans for 38 weeks. Right now, we're on our 22nd week of the Book of Psalms. I mean, we just preach the Bible, but we train up our people to not only be disciples, but to be disciple makers. And I don't know if you can really be a disciple until you've made one, according to like Second Timothy. And so we're training up our people to do that. And when you personally just cannot get over the gospel in your own life, then you are ready to share that gospel with other people that you love that God puts in your path. 
Yeah, so for sure. That's what we do. Well, a lot of people that are listening to this conversation, th- these guys are some of them are a single staff church. They don't have staff, medium sized churches, you know, around. If there was one thing you would say to those pastors about guys, here's some things I would just tell you that any church of any size, of any talent level, of all of this kind of stuff, here's what you can do to get off the dime right now if you just do it. All right, I'll give you two different things. One is size-related, and then one is the best advice in the entire Bible to being a Jesus follower is in John chapter 2. Jesus is at the wedding at Cana. They run out of wine. Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he's like, so, woman, what does this have to do with me? And then the next thing that happens is Mary gets the servants together. And in John 2, 5, she says this, do whatever he tells you to do. That's discipleship right there. You just do what he's told you to do. Now, the next four or five things that Jesus told him to do didn't make any sense. Like, go get stone jars. You mean the ones we've been washing our hands in? Yep. Go get more water. Go get a ladle. Dip some out. Take it to the master of ceremonies. Like, what are you talking? None of that makes any sense. And little did they know that on the other side of about six steps of obedience was a miracle of water to wine that we're still talking about. So to those pastors, you need to pray first and then go and do second and do whatever he tells you to do. And I think in churches now, there's got to be a whole lot less copy and paste than a whole lot more study and prayer and just do what he tells you to do. Now, in regards to depending on the size of church you are, Tim Keller wrote a great article a hundred years ago about church size. You can just Google it like on church size. And I think it's really important for pastors to figure out what your currency of ministry is based on the context that you're in. So if you're at a church with like a hundred people, I would encourage you, even though, man, I am a Bible guy, I'm a preach the word guy. If you're spending 30 hours a week on your sermon for a hundred people, I don't think that's a great use of your time. You're probably the best theologian and best preacher there anyway. You could take all 100 of those people out like individually. Your currency of ministry may be relationship right now, not so much teaching. And then at some point, I don't know the exact number, but somewhere probably around the 150 to 300 mark, you're going to move from, from just relationships to like leadership development. And then one day your currency of ministry is going to be developing systems eventually one day the best thing you can do to impact the most amount of people will be preaching sermons. But the last thing you need to do is like go to a conference where a guy that has a great gift of teaching has got a big old church and you think that's what I'm supposed to do. That is not what that guy has always been doing. So I got the privilege of starting out with 12 kids in a broom closet and I was their youth pastor. I don't need to spend 12 hours working on my youth sermon at that point. I could have spent an hour with each kid making disciples, and that would have been more impactful than 12 hours of prep on that talk. And so I think that's important. Figure out what God is telling you to do at your church, and then trust him to bring the people around you to do the other things. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, Leslie, don't you? Very powerful. Yeah, I appreciate that. So one other thing that we could just close with, Joby, if you don't mind, is if there is somebody who's feeling discouraged in ministry, what would you say to that person to encourage them? Uh, welcome to ministry, man. <laughs> <laughs> That'll really help. That's good. <laughs> I will tell you, if you want to make people happy, don't go into ministry. Sell ice cream or something. Because, you know, when the Bible calls us sheep, it is not a compliment. Mm-hmm. Sheep are a mess. 
And we are called to love and care for and protect the sheep. And I can tell you, for me, man, when the wolf tries to bite me, it's fine. I get that. But man, when your own sheep that you're willing to lay down your life for, when they're the ones biting, it hurts bad, man. And I don't know how to like compartmentalize that. I don't even think we're supposed to. But it reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Timothy. He talks about remembering their tears together. I think what he's talking about, a little bit of biblical conjecture on my part, but I think what Paul is talking about is when Paul laid hands on the elders of Ephesus on the beach. And the words that he says over Timothy is this, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so when you've got that fear, man, fear is not a feeling. Fear is not a personality type. It's a spirit and it does not come from the Lord. And then what's crazy is in 2 Timothy, after he tells him to not be afraid, 14 times he warns him of different pains and struggles that he is going to go through. And so I don't know if you're not discouraged, you might not be doing it right. You might just be playing church instead of actually pouring out your life for the sake of the gospel. Because when Paul gets to the end of 2 Timothy, he basically says this. He says, I've poured it out. I have finished the race. And essentially, he says, and it's worth it. So nobody ever said this was going to be easy. It's not. No, it isn't. And I appreciate you saying that so much. So do you know Ken Witten? Joby, have you ever met I know him? the name. So he's a pastor at a big church over in Tampa in our state in Florida. And Ken, one time he was telling me about a, a challenge he was having with a staff member. His church was so much bigger than ours at that point. And I just said, man, Ken, you mean you still have these kinds of problems? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Scroggy, that tick grows with the dog. That's <laughs> I, a fact. I appreciate it. And now I have to say, well, our church is bigger than it was then. And I say, yeah, the ticks all grow with the dog, no doubt. Can I say one other thing? Of course. That I share with our staff often? Because listen, too, man, I didn't know it was going to go this way. We planted in 2012, and I was leading a staff meeting last week. I think we have 280 staff now, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Man, when Jesus was baptized, right, John the Baptist looks over, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They have this little conversation about who's going to baptize who. Jesus gets baptized. The heavens open up. God the Father speaks out loud and says, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, at that point, how much ministry had Jesus done? Zero. He hadn't preached the church. He got lost in the temple. That's all he's done. He was incarnate. That's a big deal. But he hadn't taught a lesson yet. He hadn't done a miracle. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't done anything. And before he ever did any ministry, his heavenly father said, I'm really proud of you, boy. And That's so good. I think every single person in ministry should probably put on their mirror, behold, my son or my daughter in whom I'm well pleased and look at it every single day before you ever go out to do anything for him. That first and foremost, you realize you are not primarily a tool in the hand of God. You are primarily a son or daughter in the family of God. And Amen. that'll get you through. So That's powerful. Good. Thank Very you good. so much, Joby. Joby, I'm so grateful that you'd give us this time today. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And I want to thank everyone who's listening today. And we would love to hear from you on this topic. You can email me personally if you like, jscroggins at gofamilychurch.org or DM me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. I'd love to hear what you're learning as you pastor and lead in your neighborhood church. Plus, it is November. Uh, it's going to start getting cold where you are. And it's time for you to make plans to join us in sunny South Florida for our 2023 Church for the Rest of Us 
conference. It's on March the 2nd, 2023. You can register, churchfortherestofus.com. I'm Jimmy Scroggins signing off for Leslie Bennett and Pastor Joby Martin of 1122 Church. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.